Welcome to Case by Case. This is a podcast brought to you by Callum Chain and Luke Zadkovic of ZFZ. How are you, Callum? I'm good. I'm very good, Luke. This is an exciting one. Fresh, fresh off the uh, Supreme Court website. Delivered today. Delivered today. All about whether the Scottish Parliament can go ahead with a second referendum or do they need the consent of the UK Parliament? Super Important question. If you're Scottish, do you know anyone Scottish, Callum? <laughs> if only I did. If only there was somebody Scottish to talk from personal perspective. Yeah. Well, look, I've got to confess, I have treated this case like any other case by case case um, in that I've just read it this morning. Um, I've looked at it as I would any case and I'm ready to give a few views on it. I have not. Um, looked at any news today. I've been flat out on lots of other things. So I haven't read what other people have been writing about it. I suspect you may have. I've seen the I've seen some news articles about it from the kind of usual suspects, the, the main the main um, yeah, the, the the key people in in the media. Um, but all of those look at this from a political perspective rather than a legal one. So there's not much that really guides that. Uh, the analysis that you'll get on the podcast from kind of BBC News or any other website. So I'm kind of coming into it fresh too. And, I, and as as with a few of these where we've done something which has been picked up by the by the national press, it's so instructive to read the judgment itself and see what's actually you know, get get the get the news from the horse's mouth if you like. Totally. And um, the legal issues don't necessarily marry up with the political issues. I think what's really interesting about the legal case and the principles that are discussed here um, and the application of them is actually that uh, the court looked very closely at what would be the political effect of a second referendum and how how that then played into the the legal principles at play. We'll get into it, but yeah, absolutely. You, you can't you can't just say you can't just say that this decision is is a legal case devoid of any political context because actually the political context came into the legal analysis um, in quite an interesting way. Yeah, and actually, I mean, interestingly, that that was almost the argument that the Scottish government were trying to run was. This can be taken outside of any political context. This, the, the question that we want to put to the um, put to the to the Scottish population, um, how the court dealt with it, we'll get onto. But I think unless unless our listeners have been have been living under a rock for the last twenty four hours at the time this is released, they will know that the Scottish government's attempt to attempt to get the um, to get this through did fail. And I've got to say, not surprisingly so i think from a a, a legal perspective it, it would be um i think an unusual result if the uk um supreme court here um had a construction of of the scottish act that meant um that a question as fundamental as whether uh, Scotland can become an independent country and leave the UK is something that has not been reserved, has not been, you know, uh, left for um, the UK Parliament to to deal with, and therefore, you know, w- the effect of that is that the UK Parliament needs to consent, needs to agree to any such um, Scottish. Uh, referendum going ahead, as it did for the first time around. Of course, this is not happening in a complete vacuum. We've had. We uh, there has been um, a Scottish referendum already. Uh, it um, had a majority vote that went against Scotland leaving and becoming an independent country. Since that vote, we were all aware of um, uh, Brexit happening and going through, um, and a number of other political kind of development since then and the Scottish National Party have been pushing for um, a second referendum and that the the basis of or the main basis or premise of the first referendum has changed and that there's now a context in which um, the Scottish people should be asked again whether um, Scotland should become an independent country and what we're dealing with here is 
um, the, the Scottish government introducing a bill uh, into the Scottish um, Parliament uh, to go ahead with a, a second referendum um, and that bill being looked at by, um, uh, let me get this right, the Lord Advocate, I think, in, um, as, a, as a Scottish uh, law officer, having that bill um, um, brought to her and then um, taking the view, well, I'm not entirely sure that this is a matter that the Scottish Parliament can rule on and that there's some uncertainty, let's put it that way, as to whether this is a reserved matter um, for the UK Parliament. And therefore, the Lord Advocate then went and referred the, the issue to the directly to the, to the Supreme Court of the UK. Um, and we have a judgment on that decision. And, and just to, to finish off that little, that little section, Callum, um, the judgment was given by Lord Reid, uh, who's the president of the court, Lord Lloyd-Jones, Lord Sales, Lord Stevens, and Lady Rose today, uh, the 23rd of November 2022. Its citation is um, UK SC 31 for those that um, might be listening to this sometime into the future. Um, so, yeah, that, that's where we're at. Um, fascinating um, legal issues that arose here, Callum. Not, obviously, we'll get on to the, the big, juicy, sub substantive question, but there are a couple of curly preliminary points there to, to consider. Yeah, there, there are. And, and I think it's, it's just, just kind of going, going back to that introduction, which I think summarises the, the background to the case extremely well. The, the, I think the first thing to understand is that if you want to have a referendum, you need to pass a bill. That's the first step in getting this referendum on. And, and that's where all the, all, the, all the problems begin because the Scottish government is entitled to or allowed to by law to pass certain bills, uh, create law in Scotland under the, the Scotland Act 1998, which is the, the, um, the, the act that devolved a number of powers to Holyrood in Edinburgh. Um, but it didn't give the Scottish government an unfettered ability to pass any legislation they wanted to in respect of Scotland. It had to be the, the, the laws that they were entitled to pass under the Scotland Act were, were curtailed by some, some reserved questions. And, and these, these were called, the, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's the, the reserved um, issues or the, the reserved somethings. And the key question here is whether a law... That, that creates a, a second independence referendum would be a re, would be one of those reserved issues, and if it is, then the Scottish Parliament, the Scottish government, doesn't have the ability to create that law under the Scotland Act 1998. They don't have the authority to create a law that goes outside the laws they're entitled to create under the Scotland Act. Um, and part of the issue here is that the only way that they can create a law is by somebody signing off in Holyrood that the law that they're about to create doesn't um, contravene the Scotland Act. So the Lord Advocate, who's, who is uh, the, the kind of official legal advisor to the Scottish government, is sat there saying, well, I'm not sure about this. The Lord Advocate, in fact, in this case, argued that they should be entitled to, to create this law. Um, but... She wasn't, she wasn't certain that they were. So she said, I want to refer this question to the Supreme Court. I want the Supreme Court to tell me that I am entitled to make this law. And on the other side, you effectively have the UK government who are saying, firstly, if you have concerns, you're not allowed to pass the law. And that's as far as it gets. These are the technical points that you're, that you're talking about there, Luke, where you know, they're, they're saying the Supreme Court shouldn't even look at this. If, you're, if, you, if you aren't sure, then that's it. You need, per, you need permission from, uh, from, the, from the UK government or from the, from the um, UK Parliament. Yeah, and just on that, they, they say effectively that the Lord Advocate's role is to provide legal advice to the Scottish Parliament. And, 
And if they're concerned about it, they shouldn't be going ahead. And that's their role. It's not something, it's not, there was a line in there, it's in that, in argument, it's not the court's role um, to to have some advisory function uh, for the Lord Advocate. And look, I, I didn't think those points went all that far. I know they were they were fiercely contested and, and, and properly pled out and argued and all the rest as you'd expect in the Supreme Court. But when you think about it on, on such a, important question like this um i think it's only right that the the lord advocate has the ability in uh, and and seems a very proper thing to do to be able to go to the highest court in the land to get some guidance on this yeah and and in fact there there is a um paragraph 35 of schedule six says that on certain devolution issues the lord advocate is entitled to refer the question to the supreme court so you then had the 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 um, UK government saying, this is not one of those questions that you're entitled to refer. They said, you are entitled to refer some questions, but not this one. And then in, in, in the schedule that talks about what, um, what the devolution issues are, and the devolution, the devolution issues are the ones that can be referred, the, the schedule in the Scotland Act says, um, that, well, includes any other question arising by virtue of this act about reserved matters. And the reserved matters in turn include things like issues that go to the state of the uh, of, of the union between uh, of the, well, the union comprising the United Kingdom. Yeah, I think that to, to read them out, I think there was the two of them, wasn't it? It was um, uh, we're, we're talking about here, um, paragraph one of Schedule Five to the Scotland Act, um, subs B and C. B reading the union of the kingdoms of Scotland and England. Um, and see the Parliament of the United Kingdom. And in argument, there wasn't much distinction between B and C, given the nature of this issue. It's so fundamental being uh, seeking to become an independent country. So it, it, it was said and argued that um, this question goes to both B and C without much distinction between the two of them. It, it then follows, according to the Lord Advocate, that, that she was entitled to put this question to the Supreme Court because it was a devolution issue. And it was a devolution, devolution issue by virtue of being any other question arising by virtue of this act about reserved matters. So it, it was a question about reserved matters, the reserved matter being the Union or the UK Parliament. And it was a question arising by virtue of the act about those matters. And so then the first argument on that um presented by the Advocate General, uh, turned on arising by virtue of this Act. The key passage here, when it, where it was summarised, was that since the Lord Advocate's function in relation to, the, to these kind of statements is not prescribed by the Scotland Act, a question arising in the course of performing that function is not, they submit, one arising by virtue of the Act. And the, the issue here was a pretty technical one. And the issue was, if the bill was to go through... The, the, the point at which the Scotland Act would prevent the bill from going through would, would, would be kind of indirect um, because actually what the Lord Advocate would be doing in saying, hang on, we've got a question here, this, this might be in breach of the Scotland Act, is the, the, the Lord Advocate would there be exercising some kind of discretion under the, minister, under the Scottish Ministerial Code. So the, 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 the kind of role that the Lord Advocate would be playing in raising this issue would be under the Scottish Ministerial Code rather than under the Scotland Act. And therefore, the UK government said, this is a, this is a question which arises by virtue of, th sorry, this is not a question that arises by virtue of the Scotland Act. This is a question that arises by virtue of the Scottish Ministerial Code, um, but which I think was probably a bit of a triumph, to be honest. And the Supreme Court said, no, this obviously arise under the act yeah it's quite quite a technical point and then the second one that um the advocate general raised was that the scheme of the legislative scrutiny established by sections 31 and 33 would be undermined yeah so and, and here sections 31 and and 33 they dealt with a number of provisions con which concern the scrutiny of bills in order to assess whether they are within the legislative competence of the Scottish Parliament. Um, and so we get into this, this close analysis of um, 
how a bill scrutinised and what, what, what's the process involved for that. Again, th these are quite technical points and uh, I, I think we should touch on them, but the, the main substance of this case we're going to come on to in, in a moment. There's maybe not a lot to be gained from looking, at, looking through this in real detail. I, I, I kind of went through it. Uh, this is obviously one of the first times in my career where I'll have to look at the Scotland Act in detail um, and, and arguments relating to it. But it was... You're not, you're not going to um, pivot to, to becoming a constitutional <laughs> lawyer, Callum? I'll tell you what, there's a lot of work as a constitutional lawyer in the last six years. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. It's, it's been a good time to be a constitutional lawyer, um, I suppose. They, I hope they've got good rates because they've, they've been enjoying it for the last few years. What do you mean, hope? I'm sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. In and out of the Supreme Court every other week. Um, this So... Basically, section thirty, uh, section thirty-three, is the is is the right by which the the Lord Advocate can refer a question about a bill to the Supreme Court, and the issue here is that there's a second there's a, there's there's a second part of the legislation that talks about referring a question in relation to a draft bill to the Supreme Court, and the argument went that there would not have been an intention. For there to have for for there to be a kind of split, a kind of a bifurcated regime where you have to go set, jump through a set of hoops A if the bill is in draft and set set of hoops B if the bill is not in draft if it's if it's gone past that stage. Um, so this was a really highly technical argument. It it didn't get very far, and as you say, it's not the um, it's it, it's it's not the way that we. Well, it's not, it's, it's not the kind of in point of interest, really. Suffice to say, it failed. And the Supreme Court said, we're not going to refuse to answer the question that's put to us on the basis of this question. And I think the key point on this was that the court said that it accepted that a, a reference to the Supreme Court cannot be made under paragraphs 1F and 34 after a bill has been introduced in the Scot Scottish Parliament. But then they say... As we've explained, Section 33.1 confers a power on law officers to refer a question of legislative competence in relation to a bill to this court. But Section 33.2 then confines that power to a specified period after the passing of the bill or its approval following an earlier reference. So there's a period of time in which it is entirely appropriate to um, uh, send it over to the court. Now, there's a, a question which we come on to as to whether the court should entertain the question, um, more, more, I suppose, a qualitative type um, discretionary uh, threshold. And, and let's talk about that in a minute. But it's almost like there is a period of time. It's not a completely theoretical bill and it's too too early in its um, germination to, to even be um, reviewable or looked at by the court. There is, a, there is a point at which it makes sense for the law officer, in this case, the Lord Advocate, to be able to refer that um, off to the court. Yeah, exactly. And the, I mean, the, the way the Supreme Court looked at it is, is there any inconsistency with the, with the Section 33 procedure and the power to refer a question relating to proposed legislation? Um, so you, so is, is there, it, it might be kind of uncomfortable and there might be a tension in the legislation that might even be a little bit clumsy or clunky that you have this bifurcated approach, but are they, are they strictly inconsistent? And the Supreme Court said, no, they're not inconsistent. So there's, you know, we, we're not going to um, decline to answer the question on the basis of this, this regime. We can make it work, so we'll answer the question. Yeah, exactly. And, and look, there are some really technical arguments in all this. Uh, there was a whole section on uh, what, other means in paragraph 1F of the Act. Uh, and that was the third point put forward by the Advocate General. Um, and it, it's really interesting to see that at, at this level, you know, you're, you're getting scrutiny on every single word that's being used. And, ha and you can see the QCs just and the whole legal teams pouring over every single word to see what can we do with this? What, how, how can we play with it? it it's to see it argued like this and the judgment on the argument um it's it's really it's really clever isn't it how uh, you, you can you can look at you can look at a word in this case other and then have a whole section where you're arguing how that can have effect and 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 what have you and you know we could talk about 
this particular section for an hour if we wanted to, but it, it's it's fascinating. It really is. It shows the caliber of legal mind that is dealing with these kinds of issues. Yeah, and it's I mean that that subsection I don't think we need to discuss it at all. Really, it's just a, an attempt to construe the the legislation in a way that would have meant that the question couldn't be put before the court, basically saying that the the sweep up provision that said or any other question uh, relating to this act. Um, or relating to reserved matters under this Act should actually be construed much more narrowly. Um, and the court said, no, we, we can construe it broadly. But it was interesting to see in the same way that you know we do with our contractual disputes, this, this um, real close analysis, you know, how, what, can I, what mileage can I get out of the words in this contract for, for my clients? Um, it, it really interesting to see it applied here. Yeah, but also like the, the, we're always looking for takeaways, aren't we? In in these um, in these podcasts, and it is, it is that point, right? You, you find a word, you see how you can stretch it. You then go back to see how has that word been interpreted in other cases. Where's a case that has a, a broader interpretation? Where's a case that has a narrow interpretation? Can we argue that our case is similar to the narrow interpretation, if that's what we want to argue? Or can we argue uh, argue the reverse? And that's what's happening. It's like building blocks, isn't it? You kind of say, okay, th- th- this, this word, okay, we could argue it narrowly. We could ar- argue it broadly. Then you go and take these other steps. And um, yeah, that's not, not a point that's, that's confined to this case, of course, but there's just some really good examples of, of that type of argument playing out. So then the, for, the fourth argument um, by the Advocate General here was why should there be a power to refer questions which the Lord Advocate is able to answer? And this is what we touched on a little bit earlier, isn't it? Um, you know, the, this point about what, what is the role of the law officer um, if they have a question where they're not sure about what the answer is or there's some uncertainty there, are they able to refer it off to the court or should they um, answer it themselves and, and crack on with it? Yeah, and I think the court actually answered it pretty – I mean, they, they dismissed of this argument pretty quickly um, and it was well covered in this sentence that I, that I highlighted, which says, law officers perform an important role in providing legal advice to government, but they are not infallible. So, you know, they provide the advice, but sometimes they might want to go to a court to just make sure that they're getting the right advice. If I could turn my screen around, I'd show you that I highlighted the same section. <laughs> <laughs> like on countdown, when they get the same answer, you, know, you can see my work. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, um, look, for all those reasons, the court concluded that the question referred is a devolution issue. Um, and as such, the Supreme Court of the UK has jurisdiction to decide it. Then they came on to this more, as I described it, a qualitative type or discretionary type point, and that is should the court decline to accept the reference? Um, And the argument here um, was that, again, as, as we were just saying before, in prior cases, there are a couple cited here, um, where the court had declined to hear certain questions that were put to it. I think in that case, it was by the Attorney General for Northern Ireland. Um, And the argument there was that, well, look, there are these other cases where for certain reasons the court has decided um, to decline uh, looking at the issue. And um, they were said to have some analogous effect. The court shut those down quite quickly really and said look those other cases were completely different i think much narrower in scope um they were more kind of subject matter based if i can describe it like that whereas the question here is such a fundamental question (laughs) going to the whole nature of the relationship um between the uk and scotland or scotland's part in the uk um that it's really hard to see a court saying, well, we get over the jurisdiction question, but we're not going to decide it. Um, it, it seemed, it, it, I, I don't know whether you saw more in it, but it, it seemed a, a pretty tough argument to try and make out. It did. And I think what, what, they, were, what they were trying to argue there was this is a, this is a draft bill. Uh, it's going to be subject to change a number of times before it becomes, uh, before it becomes law. 
why would you make a judgment now knowing that it could change before this thing actually becomes law and then we're all going to be back in front of you arguing the same thing in, in a in a short period and the supreme court said no you're not this you know if we decide that you're not allowed to have a referendum then you're not going to be coming back with a slightly different formulation of that question that that's the answer to the question yeah and i i wondered about that right um i think that's right uh and the court was pretty emphatic here um, and hasn't left much room for Scotland to move. And I don't mean to be kind of moving on to more political aspects here, but I just, I just wonder what if rather than and, – and maybe this is a question for the end, so tell me if so and we'll come back to it. But, but, what, but I suppose it is relevant to this point about – um, this is an early bill and it's not the actual law. What if instead of a referendum, it was more of a publicite or some type of lower order advisory um, type um, poll, let's call it. Um, and so it, it, it's not a referendum with all the bells and whistles of a referendum, uh, but the Scottish Parliament introduced something short of that uh, to take the temperature. Is that, is it, you know, are you now in a situation where what they've said here, and we'll get on to some of the substantive reasons uh, for why um, it didn't succeed in a minute, but is that the kind of, you know, argument where you could see here, well, you know, we've got to take on this, but um, what if they come back with some other type of method for um, getting a feel for, for whether the Scottish people want to independence now yeah for, i think for me it depends on whether they have to pass a bill to make that thing happen so if they if, if whatever course of action they want to take requires the scottish government and scottish parliament to pass a bill then they'd have to come back to this question and i think that the supreme court would be pretty disappointed to see the same question put before them if i'm being honest i, I think that they've been pretty clear on on what a referendum would mean and i think if you were to call it a referendum but or to call it something else but effectively take the temperature of the Scottish population, the Supreme Court would have a similar view on whether that fell within um, or outside of the Scottish Parliament's powers under the, under the Scotland Act 1998. So I think you'd probably back to back to square one on it. And isn't that what isn't that the point of this section though? It, it, it is that the court in dealing with this argument about um, iterations, let's say, of a bill, and then what ends up in in an act it has come out in a conclusive, expansive way to say, we are going to deal with this issue and we're going to deal with it um, in a way that would cover any iterations of that same question. Um, and and, and you, you almost, I almost see this as a wrapping up section to say, not only are we going to deal with it, we're going to deal with it fully. So don't come back to us with some kind of, you know, slightly rejigged question. It doesn't say that, of course, and, and you know, that that's just an opinion. But um, I, I, look, I just, it, 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 it read a little bit like that to me. Yeah, and there's not, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it quickly enough, but they, they did come close to saying that. Um, they maybe I'll look, look for it later on and see if I can see if I can pull out that uh, that passage. Oh, this is the, just while you're finding it, Callum. This is the one from before uh, that I was referring to. This is a um, this was an argument. So this is a summary. Yeah, this is a summary of an argument. It is inappropriate they submit for the Lord Advocate to treat this court as a legal advice centre. <laughs> it is a normal aspect of the responsibilities of a law officer to provide legal advice to government on her own responsibility. The substantive question in the present case they submit is, uh, is they submit, not even one of particular difficulty. <laughs> I thought that was a cute argument. It didn't, it didn't fly, but yeah, anyway, that was the, the court summary of that, that earlier point we were talking about. It's not a legal advice center. I like that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, so, the, so the court said uh, we we declined to exercise our discretion not to hear this. I we will we will hear the question, and and therefore after if you're reading this from a kind of interested political rather than legal question, or, or interested political interested from a political rather than legal standpoint, you would be forgiven for getting to page twenty three of the PDF and thinking we still haven't actually had a, had 
even the consideration of the question that was put before the before the the court. And I think sometimes, yeah, for for a lot of people, that's one of the things that makes court proceedings quite opaque is that there is a lot of very detailed, very serious, very ponderous consideration of important really important issues but that seem to be tangential to the to the core issue and in this case the, the you know those issues really did take up the vast majority of the judgment yeah absolutely in many ways i think it's because um the the fundamental question here was relatively straightforward to answer which we're going to come on to but some of these other points are, are trickier and uh, i i think the court is always mindful to think about not just well i'm going to say how, how do i say this properly of course they're only looking at the the issues before them what's argued before them but they are also going to keep in mind floodgates type scenarios and if they make a decision in one situation about a, a bill, a preliminary bill or something that's early on in the process, which um, you know, could be chopped and changed as it goes through uh, the, the political process of parliament, then is that something that should be put before the court at some step along the way? Well, how is that going to play out in other cases? Now, they don't resolve it with that necessarily in mind. Well, they might resolve it with that partially in mind, but it's not going to be the determining factor. But it is something that will be sitting in the back of their minds, right, in, in answer to these types of questions. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bit like this section here, sorry, with where they look at the um, the Northern Ireland cases that had come before, before. And they said, well, no, those are ordinary litigation situations. We do have this ability to decline jurisdiction on um, discretionary grounds or grounds where it's not something we should really be ruling on. Um, if, if a matter is hypothetical or academic or premature, these types of factors. So we're going to retain that ability. But in this case, um, we don't get there. This is a, this is a fundamental question. There's, there's really important issues uh, that are at play, and the, the law officer here, the the law Lord advocate in Scotland, was uh, was acting properly in um, referring this off to the court for for some guidance. And did you did you sense that the way this judgment was written was different to the commercial court judgments that we normally read, or this or the Court of Appeal civil civil division judgments? Because I I got the sense reading it that almost the the, the target audience of this judgment was. It, the, a kind of m someone more of a lay person. It was written extremely clearly. They, if, uh, an example for, that jumped out to me was when they were looking at the. We, we actually haven't talked, talked about this on the podcast, but earlier on we 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 spoke about the, the the construction issue of the around the legislation where the uh, the UK government were effectively saying that. It, it, there's a very narrow uh, list of things that can be that can be put to the court, and the Scottish government would say no. The list is actually quite broad, and the the UK government's arguments were this: you know, th th this is a matter of construction. If you if you read the if you read the the section of the Scotland Act in this way, then you come to a different conclusion. Um, and the way the court spelled out that construction argument for me was was more granular um, and. Uh, kind of more step by step than you might see in a commercial court judgment or a or a kind of court of appeal civil civil division um, judgment where it, where the the recipients of the of the of the judgment are less kind of the broad public uh, or an interested broad public and more commercial parties who are kind of very well versed in these types of um, contract formation and contract construction issues. Yeah, in answer to your question, yes, I did. I, I did think that this judgment read, um, and I say this with the the greatest uh, greatest of respect, but I I did think, um, and before you said it, I actually had this thought myself as I was reading through it that it reads in a very clear, easy to understand, easily digestible way. Um, even though it gets into some quite technical matters, I think the court was very conscious of the fact that this is a decision that will be read by people across the community, um, from legal scholars right through to, um, you know, uh, 
um, so-called lay people um, who, or, or um, magazines, or you know, different newspapers, um, and and um, they they want it, and also, I think it's it comes through as we're going to talk about now that the court fully appreciates that the decision that it's making here, while necessarily a legal one in nature, um, is going to have significant political effect. Um, and there is um, a primacy of laws override an issue here, overriding the context of all of this, right? Well, you know, we haven't really talked about it, but the UK Parliament um, is the overriding parliament um, and there are fundamental, such important issues that are reserved to it. And so there is a hierarchy between the parliaments of the UK Parliament and the Scottish Parliament. And the, the court, in my view here, in the way that it's written, the way that it's delivered and the ultimate decision is exercising that authority through, you know, through interpretation of laws that are in place. But I, I think it's, it's got that real authoritative um, tone and explanation, but in a very respectful um, and easy to understand way. Uh, yeah, I think that's how I, what my takeaway was from it. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a hell of a skill to be able to write something complex in a way which is simple and digestible. And I thought that it just crossed my mind a few times reading it that, that the tone was just slightly different to what we normally read. So should we unpack? Should we unpack the the, the central issue? Like we we've just done exactly what the judgment has done and, and ramble on and on about, you know, kind of preliminary um, procedural topics and we haven't yet got into the central issue. Um, so, yeah, so, as we said, as you will have picked up, the central issue is whether the legislation providing for a ref referendum on Scottish independence would relate to a reserved matter. Um, so we're looking here at Section 292B, um, which uh, provides that a provision is outside the legislative competence of the Scottish Parliament insofar as it relates to reserved matters. Um, and we've gone through that in some detail. The reserved matters we're talking about here, as I said earlier, um, are the union of the kingdoms of Scotland and England. So matters relating to that are reserved to the UK Parliament and um, the Parliament, the quote, unquote, the Parliament of the United Kingdom. So those two separate um, matters are reserved. Um, and so, so here we then look on to um, uh, Section 29.3. And the critical question here is whether the proposed bill would relate to the Union of the Kingdoms of Scotland and um, England or the Parliament of the United Kingdom. And Section 29.3 provides that for the purposes of this section, the question whether a provision of an act of the Scottish Parliament relates to a reserved matter is to be determined by reference to the purpose of the provision, having regard, among other things, to its effect in all the circumstances. And that's that throws up some really interesting points. What does relates to mean? And also, um, what does its effect in all the circumstances mean? Um, and maybe if we take take relates to first, Callum, um, are you happy to, to get into into that? Yeah, definitely. And I think I think probably, and as is often the case with the construction issues. The your your first reaction speaks volumes about what words mean when you read them. Just you know, in plain English, it speaks a lot. So, if you yeah, if you if you look at this and it says, I, I mean, it's often occasionally I've I've kind of had my had my initial reaction changed by looking at something in more detail, looking at it in the context. But there is a lot to be said for what's your what what do you think it means, and. For the you know for the purposes of this section, the question whether a provision of an act. So here we're saying whether a provision in a Scottish bill saying that Scotland is going to have a referendum on independence, does that relate 
to the union of Scotland of the kingdoms of Scotland and England. And we, we determine that by reference to the purpose of the provision, which is to uh, create a referendum. And we have re regard to the effect of that in all the circumstances. And the answer is a blinding obvious yes, really. You know, taken at face value, it's got to... The, the whole point is, is, is directly intended to have an effect on that union. The, the, the old pub test, right? Exactly. <laughs> Ask people down the pub and you're going to get pretty much one answer. Although it depends on where the pub might be in, in the UK, right? <laughs> and and the, so, so kind of taking the legal, the legal points, the, there's, a, there's a, a host of cases that talk about what does it mean? What does it mean to, to, to relate to um, this, this, this wording? You know, the, the, the bill has to relate to, the proposed bill has to relate to the reserved matter. So, i.e. The, the, the bill about a referendum has to relate to the union of the kingdoms of Scotland and England. And it relates to indicates something more than a loose or consequential connection. Um, and I think we can kind of go through the, the legal test, but fundamentally what the Lord Advocate, the position that the Lord Advocate took, and I should say the Lord Advocate kind of put both positions because as a law officer, her job was to try and get the right answer back from the court. And she was, you know, it, it was kind of less adversarial and more kind of putting the question to the court saying, I've considered this on the one hand and this on the other hand. I really like that. Just pausing there. I, I really like that kind of approach, right? There's something that's, that's, that's professional or, or, or something, um, you know, just something right about how that's done. Is that, okay, I'm going to argue both sides, and of course, here the Advocate General, Counsel for the Advocate General, had the opportunity to make further arguments um, and expand on them. But the court, you know, was very grateful to the Lord Advocate for having put the other side's case. The, the, the arguments for the cause, the, the connection between this referendum bill and the uh, unions of England and Scotland, the, the kingdoms, the union of the kingdoms of England and Scotland. Um, they're pretty clear. They're the ones that will probably be jumping straight to the mind of everybody here, which is that the, the whole purpose of this bill is to try and uh, create, ref you know, have a referendum, which the people proposing the bill hope will be answered in, in favour of Scotland's independence, which would have a massive effect on the union of those two kingdoms. Um, but the points against are quite interesting. And it basically goes to this idea that the referendum is advisory and it's not something, you know, it would have no immediate legal effect. The proposed bill was to have a referendum. The referendum would be advisory. It wouldn't be the kind of bill where if it passes, there's an immediate legal effect of the union of Scotland and England falling through. Yeah, it was kind of those two points, wasn't it? It was the um, what relates to mean, um, you know, does it require this close connection? Um, and there is some. Uh, the court ultimately found a, a way through all the all the authorities to hold them together. But there's an argument around um, uh, the decision of um, the court, led by Lord Mance, I think, gave the leading judgment in the medical costs case, the, the Welsh asbestos case, um, and. It, that it was submitted there that there was a different approach to the meaning of relates to and, and that it required a close connection more so than a loose connection. Um, and so there was this, this construction debate around um, what does relates to. But then, as you say, there, there was this secondary point around um, the, the practical effects of a referendum and that the court, is is almost being asked to um, uh, asked to speculate and and, and 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 consider well what what could be the political effects of this down the track and that's not really the purpose here that the referendum is not buying it's not automatic it's not like if the referendum was allowed to occur it would be automatically self-executing such that Scotland immediately leaves the UK it, in itself it was argued would be advisory now. As everyone will appreciate, um, if Scotland were to have a referendum that was backed by Scottish law, uh, and let's assume that they were able to do this and, and, and the court went the other way, uh, and that referendum um, was held with, with all the bells and whistles and authority and all the rest of it, um, that would have huge political effect. Um, 
Uh, it was a little bit like Brexit, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the Brexit referendum, it, it didn't automatically mean that the UK came out of the EU. And, and indeed, it didn't even answer the question as to what type of Brexit there should be. But once that decision had been made, uh, the government, um, which at the time was pushing for a full hard or led by those that was pushing by um, uh, for a, a full hard type Brexit, they had that momentum. They had that, you know, the, the, the referendum to, to run away with. And I, and I think that's the real problem with this type of submission, um, or, you know, from, from the Scottish government side. Yeah, and I think I actually think that probably the last six years and the legal wrangling around the Brexit referendum had an influence on the court here because it's not like we're talking about advisory referendums in the abstract, right? We've, the court's like, oh, hang on a minute, I've seen that movie before. I know what an advisory <laughs> referendum means. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't referred to, was it? There was nothing in here that, meant, that mentioned Brexit. But yeah, it, it's... Uh, it's that. It's also that there's just been another referendum that did go through the process of approval. Um, uh, you know that that it's, it's worth mentioning that because you might be listening, thinking, "Okay, this all makes sense," and this and the Scotland's not allowed referendum. But then, how did they have one before? And the answer is that before, and this actually probably speaks to the to the to to the fact that the law, the, the Scotland Act, nineteen ninety eight, prohibits this kind of referendum without the without the consent of the UK Parliament. But previously, when they had the referendum back in 2014, it was done by a amendment to the uh, Scotland Act 1998, which has since been repealed. So they kind of had this, had this temporary in insertion of uh, Schedule 5A to the Scotland Act 1998, which allowed for the 2014 referendum and then fell away following the 2014 referendum. Um, but you're right. You know, having 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 gone through that process the first time round, it's then difficult for the for the Scottish government to turn around now and say, actually, we didn't need to do all that last time. We can just do it ourselves. Yeah, exactly. And look, when the court came to deciding this um, this issue, uh, you kind of know where they're going in their first line, don't, don't you? <laughs> I'm at paragraph seventy now. Um, and it says here, the court has repeatedly, repeatedly held that the purpose of the reservation of the Union and the United Kingdom Parliament and other matters listed in paragraph one of Schedule 5 is that matters in which the United Kingdom as a whole has an interest should continue to be the responsibility of the United Kingdom Parliament at Westminster, close quote. And that's on the Imperial Tobacco um, and the Christian Institute. Uh, decisions, uh, and that's really the starting point, right? And this goes to this 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 point that I was making before that um, I, I don't want to describe it as the the UK Supreme Court laying down the law um, because it's done it in a very respectful way here, um, if I may say that. But that that's the effect of this, right? They're coming out and saying, let's let's not beat around the bush. This is pretty clear about where um, where these types of matters, uh, where jurisdiction for resolving them rests. And if you look at the paragraph seventy eight, this this is where they kind of talk about the fact that it's the the effect of the bill that's, that the Scottish government was seeking to introduce. Um, Lord, the Lord Advocate made the arguments that the only effect of this bill. It has no effect on the union between Scotland and England. It simply has, an, has the, the only effect it will have is that there will be a referendum. Anything else is, is an effect of that referendum, not the effect of the bill. Um, and the, the court said the effect of the bill, however, will not be confined to the holding of a referendum, even if it is not self-executing and can in that sense be described as advisory. A lawfully held referendum is not merely an exercise in public consultation or a survey of public opinion. It is a democratic process held in accordance with the law, which results in an expression of the view of the electorate on a specific issue of public policy on a particular occasion. And that's the bit where I thought that this kind of a bit of a kind of Brexit hangover there in the, in, in the way the course is reading this. And, you know, it, it's not a public opinion, guys. This is different. This, these things matter. These things count. People, will, the, these will change the wind of policy um, in a major way for a serious period of time. And we can't be blind to the effects of a referendum and simply say, oh, it's just a survey. Exactly. And, and, and the court goes on. I'd, I'd encourage 
encourage you to read um, for for listeners to to go and read um, that section further because it really does set it out. There's also this. So I think there's the two points to kind of emphasise in this, isn't there? There's the um, construction point, um, and that that was on uh, relates to, and the court essentially found that it is more of a, a loose or consequential type connection here in terms of relates to. But oh, I, I thought you, you might be interested in this, Callum and, and others, but there, the court was quite careful to say that um, the type of construction that they were doing here is different to the usual type of construction that they do of a, of a normal statute. Um and uh, I, I thought that was that was worth emphasising because here um, they're not just looking at what does what's the objective purpose of um, the words and what they mean, but they're also very much looking at what's the effect of that interpretation, and that comes from the express words of the clause as well, looking at you know the effects in all the circumstances. But it's it was interesting that it wasn't. It was very clearly said by the court that this was not, it's not the typical type of construction approach. You, you're, you're looking at it with more of um, uh, looking at what is the effect of it as well. And, and it, it was, I thought it was quite an expansive approach uh, to, to interpretation. And I think that's, what, that's where, if there was a criticism of it from the Scottish independence movement that that would be where the criticism would be that the, that the courts kind of gone beyond looking at the direct consequence of the legislation and they've gone into saying well you know the intended consequence of the of the legislation is that scotland leaves the leaves the united kingdom but i think it's probably right that the court should have have regard to the effect of of the referendum not just the effect of the bill i.e the, the question is what happens if the referendum is answered rather than what happens if this bill is put through i think the i think the court has the latitude to look beyond the real immediate short-term effect of this bill coming into into force yeah this is i'm referring to paragraph 73 where where the court says in the context of statutory interpretation the court is concerned only with the objective meaning of the language used that requires an intense focus on the words used by the legislature although other background materials can sometimes be used as an aid to their construction so that's the typical type of um, construction of of a statute the exercise required by section 29.3 is of a different nature the court is not attempting to construe the legislation in question um, and then it went it goes on to quote um, the case on the agricultural bill from 2014 and says as a section requires the purpose of the provision is to be examined uh, sorry the, the purpose of the provision to be examined it is necessary to look not merely at what can be discerned from an objective consideration of the effect of its terms. The clearest indication of its purpose may be found in a report that gave rise to legislation or in a report of an assembly committee or its purpose may be clear from its context. So, so, so what the, the court is saying here is that you're looking at um, uh, you're looking at the purpose and effect. And that can be derived from a consideration of both the purpose of introducing it and also its objective effect. What's going to be the effect of this? And, you know, they use, they use the example here of the Imperial Tobacco case um, where, uh, you know, they, they say, what is the real purpose here? And they pose the kind of rhetorical question. What are these provisions really aimed at? Is it about inhibiting trading of smoking um, uh, related products, or as it was put in that case, it was really to promote public health, and that was the that was the effect of what this um, uh, legislation was intending to do. And from that, when you look at the effect in all the circumstances, that's then this foundation, this basis for the court to then go on to what you were just saying before about. Um, well, the, a referendum will have this political effect. It's um, going to create a lot of momentum uh, politically. And it, as a court, in, in 
looking at this provision, we actually need to have focus on the effect of it. And when you're just looking at a bare statute, you're not doing that. You're objectively construing the language used. You're not going on this, this search for purpose and effect as, as you are here in, in 29.3. Yeah, exactly. That's a very important context. So should we look at this final argument, which was raised by the SNP as an intervener? I don't think we'll need to give it too much uh, thought and um, the court has certainly disposed of it pretty quickly. I think so. Uh, and and look, th- this was the Scottish National Party coming in as an intervener, um, making a almost a kind of ancillary attack, if I can describe that. And I mean that with respect. Uh, I don't want to, for a moment, be taken to be um, you know dismissive of, of the nature of the arguments or, or the sentiment behind them. Um, but this was all around self-determination, the principle of, of, of legality, and how these laws sit in an international law context. Um, and you know this this fundamental right of self-determination in, in international law and the principle of legality in domestic law. Um, and I, I, I say this as a, as a kind of ancillary attack because it's it's not it, it, they did bring it within they, they did try to bring this argument within the context of what was being debated on the primary issues, but really it was an attack to say that we we should be allowed to determine our own way up in Scotland, um, and uh, it was this self determination type argument and, and having that. Um, that coming from international law. Um, did you have some comments on that, Callum, on that, that section? Yeah, I mean, worth a shot, but not a great argument. I would say that they, you know, they're looking at the UN um, Charter, which says all peoples have the right to self-determination. By virtue of that right, they freely determine their political status and freely pursue their economic, social, and cultural development. And they said that means that we're entitled to um, a referendum. I can see the I can I can see the persuasive political argument behind this point, which is that Scotland as a as a kind of uh, separate separate group to the rest of the United Kingdom wants the ability to have a greater degree of uh, self determination than is afforded to them under the Scotland Act 1998. The difficulty is legally it's not very strong at all because that's not the way the United nation's charter is interpreted. The context in which the Scottish government is making that argument is the context in which Scotland already participates in the United uh, Kingdom Parliament. Scotland already elects MPs to the United Kingdom Parliament. They have a, a say which is at least equal to people in England and Wales in the governance of the United Kingdom per uh, population. Um, and what the United Charter is going to there is uh, things like colonialism, effectively, and oppressed people, oppressed minorities who have no say in the governance of of uh, of, of the um, of the country that they're in. And it's it's very different. It, there are two different things, right? There's there's a right to self determination, and then there's a right to, to secession. And the United Nations Charter is not talking about a right to, to secession. It's saying you have a right to be heard in the context of the country in which you're in. Um, and actually, you know, the United Nations itself is in some ways dependent on the stability of nation states. So, you know, there's, there's no way that their, their charter is going to say if any group feels at any time that they want to secede, then they should be entitled to a referendum in order to effect that secession. Um, what what it's talking about is representation, and there's a there's a there's a gulf of difference between self determination and secession. Um, so it's not going. To, this, this argument was never going to fly in the Supreme Court, just as the same arguments wouldn't fly in in Spain for the Catalans or um, elsewhere, where you have a, a kind of population seeking to secede, or indeed in Quebec in Canada, which was referred to in the judgment. Um, it's a very different thing. And I think possibly there's a kind of political bent to this argument, which is to make what I think is, as I say, is a compelling political point, um, given the kind of history of Scotland as a nation, given the, given the uh, you know, 
recent obviously brexit's a brexit's a very big one um but even the makeup of of the united kingdom parliament as against the way that scotland has, has voted in a series of elections over the last 20 years or so i can see the political point there but from a legal perspective uh, not not going to fly and not a particularly strong argument and i think that's one factor behind why the intervention was allowed um so that some of these more political um natured arguments were ventilated allowed to be heard and the court wanted to comment on them um, and, and, and and explain why um, why they don't fly uh, for in, in the court's view under under um, English law UK law um, so yeah uh, look I don't have much more to add on that Callum I thought that was a, a really good summary of, of the section um, fascinating decision everyone um, a big political um, consequences where to next now for for the Scottish government and the SNP um, we shall see uh, we'll, we'll steer away from the politics of it as much as we can Callum um, we've done a good job I think we've we've, we've kept we've We've kept legal. Maybe some of your some of your contacts up there in Scotland. We say, "Oh, come on, Callum. You know what? What do you think?" <laughs> uh, but we we don't do that on case by case. We we sometimes we chip in here and there with a comment. But anyway, we still we stick to an analysis of the legal decision. But this was, as I said at the outset, a really interesting one because the court was ducking and diving through the politics as well as the law. And um, and I say that, of course, with the greatest respect. Uh, I really enjoyed reading the, the decision and um, we'll see what plays out from here. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. This is a bumper episode. I think we've been going for quite some time. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the discussion. If you've got any questions, let us know. Seriously, I, I have to say I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed that. Obviously, a topic um, which I've got a keen interest in from a, you know, for, as, a, as a Scotsman, but I really did enjoy talking through the, through the legal the legal arguments with you there so thanks a lot i uh, really enjoyed it thanks for uh, uh bringing it to our attention callum and suggesting we we do it today hopefully this um all gets edited and and uh hits the hits the newsways tomorrow thanks for listening in everyone it was a shame the supreme court didn't give us an advanced copy actually i know <laughs> i know next time next time we'll right. have to pull we'll have to pull some <laughs> strings and let them know about case by case if they surely they already know right anyway They must. Take care, everyone. See you. Bye. Bye.